Welcome to Allie and Pacero with our friend James Ball and Merry Christmas. We missed last week and Happy Merry New Christmas. Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, Good to see you, 20, Alan. 2021. Oh, yeah, man, I can't hard to believe it. And we're up and running and socially distanced and all kinds of good things. Kate Brown would be proud of us. <laughs> so, <laughs> But not Shamia Fagan. She had a party for her one-year-old. And so... Did she really? Oh, she did. 13 people. Yeah. That was made no, the news. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like our leadership <laughs> isn't taking this seriously, Alan. Really? Yeah. She had, you, Shamia Fagan had a birthday party for her kid with 13 people. They're not taking it seriously. No, not at all. So. Uh, you know, that's incredible to me. I... Uh, when I worked at various companies, I had a CEO that uh, was grabby, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. little touchy feely, little touchy feely. Yeah, and I had this. I had to sit down with him. It was very awkward because I don't know that I was much older than you are, and he's about <laughs> my age, right? Yeah, yeah. And I sat down with him. I said, "You can't do that stuff." And he's like, "What do you mean?" I said, "You can't." You it, and this is a long time ago, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, no, you just can't do that because your behavior sets the standard for everybody else in the mm-hmm. company. Everybody else in the company says, oh, well, Larry's doing this stuff. Now I can do it. Right. Yeah. And that's why it's so important. And I feel like when you accept, you run for those offices and you accept the responsibility, you need to behave right. at a higher standard. Yep. Instead, we've got Joanne Hardesty going to ALNA. We've got that uh, Multnomah County uh, commissioner who went to Hawaii, went to work for Hawaii. We've got right. Shamia Fagan has a birthday party for her kid. And the article I sent out was the the OHA. So Yeah, so talk about the... Yeah. So the article is from KGW, and they're talking about how the OHA has only administered 20% of the vaccines that have been delivered to Oregon. I don't know, forget the numbers, but basically, the I mean... One in five, the rest are sitting in storage somewhere. And they give a list of excuses of why they couldn't do it. And one of the excuses was, it's a holiday weekend, so we don't have all the staff. It's like, can you at least pretend to take this seriously? You can't have someone come in on their day off? Like, (laughs) what? This is the vaccine. This this thing's been going on for 10 months. You're destroying people's lives and livelihoods, having them like not see their grandkids being born. And... You have the audacity to say, oh, I'm sorry, we couldn't have people come in on their day off to administer vaccines. It gets to, is it a pandemic or isn't it? Is it it like thermonuclear war or isn't it? Right. And that's that's the thing. Like, And this is the problem with trying to have this argument with anybody is, yes, COVID is a problem and it is something we need to take seriously. But the fear mongering that we're getting from our leadership and from the media is so above and beyond that... And, and, and it's clear when you look at their, at their behavior that they don't even believe they own their, their BS that they're selling. You yeah, know, they're, they're not taking it seriously, but they expect us to take it seriously. And that's the part that, that doesn't make any sense to me because it would be very easy. If you're in one of those leadership positions, it would be very easy to just say, look, I'm in a leadership position. I can't have a party. We can't mm-hmm. have people over. Right. I have to wear my mask. I'm I'm enforcing all of this stuff on people. I have to behave in a certain way. Now, one of my other friends said that uh, what he had heard from the OHA was they don't know the exact delivery schedule of when they're going to get the next shipment or how many are going to be in it. So what they did was they were holding off enough so that, 21 days later, whatever it is, they could give a second dose 
to the people that got the first dose. Now, only the government could come up with this logic, right? right? (laughs) Only the government. We need to deploy billions of these vaccines, right? Pfizer, Moderna, all these companies are ramping up production and chunking this stuff out like crazy, right? And we got 10,000 or 20,000. We got a few thousand, yeah. Right. And, and I, I don't, I'm not a vaccine expert by any means. A vaxologist. Vaxologist. I'm, I'm not that thing. But my feeling, like my understanding of at least the way that other vaccines work is that you get one and it's like 90% effective. And then your second one brings it from 90% to 95 or to 97 or whatever. So you're still helping by giving these vaccines. And if you can't yes. get them on time, or even if you can't get them at all, the second dose, you're, you're still partially vaccinating and you're, right. you're working your way toward herd immunity. Like, well, and this is the thing when uh, my friend Mitch Daniels took over as governor in Indiana, I asked him, what did you do in the first 10 days? What did you do? And he said, well, the first thing we did was we revamped the DMV. Because everybody goes to the DMV. Mm-hmm. And he said, we just streamlined every process. We moved stuff online. We added resources and we made it work. And it was actually a pleasant experience to go to the DMV. And he said, the reason why was we were demonstrating to people that things are different and that we can do it in a different, more effective way. So this was an opportunity, right? Yep. To show, look, we got our act together. We know how to do this stuff. We can deploy the research. We can get this stuff done. And they've completely botched it. <laughs> Did you uh, see the other story about the um, the app that got released accidentally? No. Oh, it was a contact tracing app that got released through Apple. I got it on my phone and a notification that says, do you want to be contact traced? Or do you want a notification if you came into contact with someone with COVID or whatever? And evidently it wasn't ready, but it, somebody pressed the button and it, it got there. <laughs> the state's blaming Apple. Apple, I'm sure is... Um, is it an Oregon? For Oregon? For Oregon. Oh. Yeah. 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 Okay. So... Um, <laughs> yeah, so they, they released it prematurely. And so question one, like, uh, that's that's kind of a, a pretty, pretty thing. You, that's not that's not a obvious mistake. That's like, I mean, it, it's anyway. Uh, but the bigger thing is, when do they plan to release this thing? We're, <laughs> yeah. we're about five minutes from the end of COVID. Yeah. Um, at what point is this? <laughs> well, when, when are you planning to release this? Yeah. Anyway, so just... Uh, when are, are they are, planning to release it? Th- there was no comment. I didn't even know they were working on it until I got the thing on my phone and then I saw a news story later in the day that says they, they released it and then they had to pull it back because it wasn't ready. Can I get it on my phone? Probably. I, Did you have to download something? <laughs> no, it was through iOS. Like Apple Apple oh, pushed really? it to me. Yeah, Apple pushed it to me. It was through iOS. Um, it was one of their features, but um, it's not, yeah, it's not it's, ready. So it's, it's Our state government is a dumpster fire is the... Uh, <laughs> The real thing here. It's literally beyond my my ability to comprehend. Yeah. I mean, how many hundreds, thousands of people do we have working in government and they can't figure out the simplest things? It, it baffles me. I mean, well, it's, it's the, the unemployment thing all over again. Well, and that you knew the vaccine was coming. Right. Exactly. Right? Oh, that, oh, that was their other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let me let it me read. It isn't like, surprise. Right. There's their, a vaccine. Their, their number one excuse for why they haven't administered it. It's a brand new vaccine. Like... <laughs> Y'all didn't know this was coming. You couldn't have called Pfizer and said, hey, what do we need to do for this thing? 
No, oh, and the storage concerns because it has to be quiet or it has to be cold. Yeah. So, um, so, but, so they're going to keep it in storage right. without administering it because <laughs> there are storage concerns. Like, it's come on, people. It's literally beyond your imagination. We've got to take a break. We'll be back after the break. We're going to talk more about COVID. We're going to get into all kinds of things like 2021 uh, predictions and the election 2020. Is it over yet? This is Ali and Pacero with James Ball. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero with my friend James Ball. Jim is still on sabbatical in the bunker somewhere, <laughs> or he's playing golf, a little weenie. I'm looking outside. It looks pretty nice. Looks, looks nice. Right? It's cold out there, but it's nice. Yeah. But uh, we're talking about the failures of the rollout of the vaccine, at least here in Oregon. I'd love to hear failures. from other people out there. I know we have people that, that are uh, watching from all over the country. What's, what's going on in your state? Indiana people, Michigan people, the friends that I have there, what's going on in your state? Are they doing it any better than they're doing it here? They can't be it, doing it much worse. It, it's inconceivable. It, and maybe part of this is when Trump said that we'd have a vaccine by the end of the year and the media just poo-pooed the whole thing. Yep. That's ridiculous. Can't possibly happen. Did they all stick their head in the sand? Because they were afraid of validating something that Trump said that you, that I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, so to, I mean, to be fair, Trump says a lot of stuff, yeah. and some of it is true, and some of it's not, and some of it's wishful thinking, and some of it's hyperbole. And so maybe they were just saying, you know, oh, this is just hyperbole that there's nothing's ever been done this fast before. And but yeah, like you're probably what you guys have said a lot is Trump's acting more like a CEO where he's he doesn't really know the path from A to B, but he says, we're going to B. You guys right. figure it out. And sometimes that's doable and sometimes it isn't. And in this case, it's something that appeared to be impossible that uh, that we figured out. And so, you know, I, I'm not a huge Trump fan, but I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. And I think that the the development of this vaccine in record time is a testament to an, a, the, the Trump administration. So the thing that's amazing, do you recall when COVID first hit and they turned... Um, it wasn't, it was high school gymnasiums, I think, into temporary the overflow for hospitals. They, the, uh, I remember New York City, the Oregon they, State Fairgrounds, they moved in facilities. They? Yeah. Hmm. And, and they were, everything was motive, um, put in place to take all these cases, m mobile morgues, I think, were, were rolled out. All these horrible, you know, things that made you feel like the end of the world. It, this is Ebola times 10. Yep. Right? Yep. And they moved heaven and earth to do it. And now we have a vaccine and we're <laughs> and you, not you administering it. Because <laughs> you can't be bothered to have people come in on a holiday weekend. Your your staff is on vacation. And so you, you can't. 
I'm like Can't a, be bothered. I'm like a carp yeah. on the dock. My mouth is opening and closing <laughs> and no words are coming out. It's unbelievable. Well, and so this is this is like I don't know. The 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 parallels between the Trump administration and the Brown administration are so parallel here is that they will say one thing and do something completely different. But if you watch their actions, you can tell what they really think. And this is what I was saying before, like they know that this is not the Ebola times 10 that they're making it out to be. We know this because you look at their actions. They're going on vacation and they're having parties and, oh, well, it's more important that our employees have a vacation than it is that we administer the vaccine. Like those are actions that say, yeah, this is a problem, but we can deal with it next week. It's not that big of a problem. Whereas, and so it's just, but they are feeding us all a a load of crap. So, but here's on the flip side, anecdotally, I now have many friends who have people that they know that have COVID. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's just happened in the last two months, maybe month, right? Yeah. Where I have five or six friends that I know that it's like mom has it, dad has it. Uh, We have a mutual friend that had it and never told anybody, Mm -hmm. 80 years old, you know, got through it. Uh, we have two friends that that went through that. So the weird thing is, is that it seems like all of a sudden we've we've crossed over. And if I, you know, I would say March, April, May, I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Literally nobody yeah. that had it. And I can tell you, I, I can think of about five cases right off the top of my head right now where people have it. it so what is going on? Well, right? so so this is this is James's theory, not based on anything other than just, again, anecdotes and, and my trying to logic through it. But uh, viruses tend to, in, in general, the deadliness and the transmittability tend to be inverse because if it's a super deadly virus, it tends to kill off your host before it's able to transmit. And if it transmits, it, it doesn't kill you because it, and if it transmits like wildfire, it doesn't kill anybody because you, you, it's needed to, uh, to, to propagate. And so I think this, this is a highly mutatable uh, virus. And so if it's, if it's mutating into something that is more transmittable, it should, in theory at least, be less deadly. And so I think what we're seeing is, especially oh. with this coat, this strain, new strain in the UK, is it's more transmittable, but people aren't dying as much. And you can do that. You can look at the at the uh, the case to death ratio has gone way down or way up. Sorry, more cases, fewer deaths. And I think the deaths in general are going up, but that's they're going up. 50% whereas cases are going up 400%. That's that's really interesting. So, so the other thing that I've noticed is I track the Oregon uh data that they mm-hmm. publish is the average age has been creeping up. So the average age of death was uh 76 initially. It's now if it's the average now is probably about 78 but if you take a rolling average of the last few weeks it's probably closer to 80 so it's it's spreading faster and when it gets into these facilities where you have very high at risk people mm-hmm. it's it's killing people that are older and more 
compromised. Mm-hmm. So uh, over half of the deaths, or, or about half of the deaths in Oregon are in group facilities. Right. So, so you get into these group facilities, you have people that are immune compromised, and they're getting killed fairly frequently now. <laughs> but healthy 80-year-olds, yeah. the, the two people that I mentioned, they got through it. Yeah. It's, um, I was looking at things like mask use and that kind of thing. And, um, Denmark is viewed as like the paragon, right? Right. They're the guys that did it right. Right. Sweden, bad Sweden, Denmark, good Denmark. Right. Well, basically mask use in Denmark was zero that they just didn't use masks. They did some social distancing things, but do they, we do we know why? I mean, is there has anybody studied that to figure why out why they didn't use masks? No, I mean why? I mean how they uh, how they were able to no and this spreading and, and this is where this is where nobody seems to have examined genetics either. Mm-hmm. So was there something that some Danish guy had, you know, a hundred years ago that swept through Denmark? And they're basically all immune, right? Uh, and nobody seems to be curious, no. right? Well, and, and I think that this is, again, the difference between, I guess we got to end here in a minute, yeah. but the difference between the actions and the rhetoric coming from the top. Yeah. And by the top, I mean Kate Brown, is they're, they're acting a certain way. They're telling us to wear masks because they want us to do something. They want us engaged. They want us, you know, everybody to sacrifice a little bit because that's how they maintain their their hooks in you i guess so this is ali and pacero we'll be back talking more about this talking about election 2020 we have a big date coming up on january 6th with our friend james ball the portland spirit is headed to the river hop on board today for great views of the portland skyline and historic milwaukee waterfront see our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero. I'm here with my friend James Ball. Jim's in the bunker still talking about COVID. And I pulled up some data um, there. So if you look at New York, New York has had cumulatively 195 deaths Per hundred thousand, mm-hmm. one hundred and ninety-five people per hundred thousand have died. Denmark is twenty-one. Oregon is about thirty or so. So we're similar to Denmark, nowhere near New York. Yet, right. yet Mario Cuomo is lauded as the the governor of all governors. Right. The the narrative and the facts are just so completely divorced in this case. Yeah. It's it's beyond imagination. And then mask utilization. So Denmark's mask utilization is 17. Um, Oregon... 17%. 17%. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's way up. Back in May and June, they were 1%. Um, Oregon, if I recall is something on the order of uh, 75%. 
Yeah, Oregon today, 76%. And New York is like 76%. Yeah. Oh, this is what I was saying in the break. I think that the reason they're pushing the mask thing so hard is because while it may be a little bit effective, it's, I don't think it's as effective as they're, as they're making it out to be. Um, because you get data like this where it's, it's, it's inconclusive, I think, of whether or not mask wearing, I think there's many other, anyway. Um, but I think the reason they're pushing it so hard is psychologically. They yes. want, they want everybody to have something visible on your face that says, I'm taking this seriously. Everybody's doing the same thing. Everybody's rowing in the same direction. It's, it's a psychological tactic. It's, it's exactly the same as Trump coming out back in March and saying, this is all going to be over in, in a month. Right. Like, so it's just going to go away. And I don't want that from my government. I don't want the government, whether it's Trump or Brown, telling me something that is untrue simply because they want to psychologically manipulate me into doing the right, right. thing. And that's Tell me it, the truth. I'm that, an adult. That's what I'd wish they'd do is say the truth. And the truth is, look, wearing masks is a good reminder that this virus is out there. Yeah. And it reminds you to... Make sure, you know, watch it when you're touching surfaces, wash your hands all the time, stay six feet away from people because you kind of look at them and it's like, oh, they have a mask on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, but tell me that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't tell me these these ads on television where, you know, people will die if I don't wear a mask. Well, (laughs) it's like, okay, yes, I understand that. And I understand that that these measures are measures that are prudent for us to be taking but but let's let's be upfront and honest about what's actually going on don't treat me like a mushroom yep in a hothouse shoveling crap on my head right, right? yeah and i think that's what underneath all this maybe some uh, I'm trying to express the feelings of people that if you say on social media um you know i i think mask wearing is a terrible thing that the government is forcing us to do you're branded as a heretic right. you know somebody with aluminum foil wrapped around their head it's like you have no problem wearing a mask just be honest with us about why we're wearing a mask and what it can do and What's what it the can efficacy do. right 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 exactly and if you don't know you don't know like hey it it prevents you know, particulates from going out of your mouth and, and spreading too far. I mean, that's fine. Just, I mean, say that, say that, but like the, the, yeah, the, the rhetoric and the fear mongering coming out of this is, is ridiculous. Well, and the data doesn't support it. And, and right. you know, you can take this data. This is actually, if you want to go play around with it, it's really, really interesting. And they are the most consistent source that I've seen. It's the University of Washington. Go just say University of Washington COVID data. And you can get in and do all kinds of comparisons. You can compare Denmark to Oregon, mask use, hospitalization rates, death rates. Cases are one that as we've said on the show many times, I'm a little careful. skeptical of. Yeah, because they, they change the way that they count it. They, right. ca- they count it inconsistently. They, they don't count on the on the timeline like sometimes they'll report it the day they get it sometimes they'll report it a month later sometimes they'll report it a week after the person has passed away so it's like yeah yeah you gotta be careful and the death rates you know it's death with covid it's 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 not death because of covid some of them are certainly because of covid and sometimes they probably uh, contributed to underlying conditions absolutely so but but 
people, this isn't, and, and the way the media spins it is they died because of COVID. All of these people died because of COVID. That's not true. Yeah. They died with COVID. They were infected with COVID. There's some uh, in Oregon, not a lot, but some where they died and then they tested positive. Yeah. So that's an indicator of 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 what this data really means. And again, be honest with me. Yeah. Right? The other thing is the presumptive cases. That's the yes. one that really gets me. Because you know what presumptive case is? If I call my doctor and say, I've got a cough and a fever, he's gonna what he's gonna tell me is don't come in, just quarantine for 14 days, and you'll probably be fine because I'm young and healthy. And you know what? That counts as a presumptive case yeah, because I called in and made a phone call. Like stop counting presumptive cases or if you are count them in a separate column because a presumptive case is not the same as someone catching COVID. Well, and this is, it's also something that Trump used to say where he said, you test more and you get more cases. Well, that's actually true that we don't know if 10% of the population have it. I think it's phrased, phrased poorly. It is phrased <laughs> poorly. But but the the number of people in the population that have it are dramatically higher than the number of people that have tested for it. That we're running around with it. You're asymptomatic. You, you're not sick. Right. You're not manifesting symptoms, but you have it. You kind of have to interpret what Trump was saying. I think, you know, he doesn't, I don't think, I don't know what he meant, but if you, (laughs) if you take it as the number on the screen goes up, the more you test, I think that's how, how you're choosing to interpret it. Like the, the number that we report goes up, the more we test. The, the, the thing was, is that if 2% of the population had tested positive, had a finger prick or whatever, Mm -hmm. tested positive, but 20% of the population was actually infected. If you test, you could run that number right up to 20% if you were blanket testing everybody. Right. And that's the number, the, the extrapolated number of how broadly infected the population is, is a really important number. I never see it reported ever. Yeah. Well, they, they don't want to because it could tell them something that they don't want to hear, which is we're approaching herd immunity and uh, we don't need to lock down quite so much. Well, we blew through another COVID segment. Yeah. <laughs> I, so when, sometimes these segments go so fast, I don't even know if I set the timer right. But uh, we'll be right back. We're going to get back into some more political things. We're going to talk about January 6th and make our predictions for the year. This is Ali and Pacero with James Ball. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero with her friend James Ball. We're moving from one virus to another. <laughs> We're moving from COVID to the election 2020, which still isn't over. No. On January 6th, uh, Congress meets in a joint session. So the House and the Senate come together. And Mike Pence, as the presiding officer of the Senate, will open the sealed ballots with all the results, yet count ballots one more time, from each of the states, the electors. So the states have have selected their electors, they've met, they've processed their um, results, sealed it, sent it in, and he's going to open it up, and they're going to go through and say, Oregon, seven electors, you know. For uh, Biden. Biden. Yep. And the way it works is 
you need a member of the House and a member of the Senate to uh, object. And I don't know what the grounds for objection can be, but they object to the uh, to the count. So, suffice to say, <clears throat> someone will probably object, regardless of what the what the criteria is. Yes, and. <laughs> Then, There's someone whose who's re-election is counting on them. Uh, then they adjourn to their chambers. <laughs> yes. Then they adjourn to their chambers for up to two hours to discuss, and then they come back together, and then they vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and it requires a majority of the House and the Senate to throw out... I, I think you can do it state by state, and it's just not going to happen. Right. But the Kabuki Theater is going to happen. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. That yeah. whole thing is going to happen. Now, the interesting thing is um, my Democratic friends are like, how dare the Republicans? Oh, how dare they say that, you know, it, right? Right. Yeah. Well, guys, one, it really was a close election. You yeah. know, when you break it down, it was it was very, very close. Well, I mean, what irritates me, and there, the, Newt Gingrich did a, an op-ed recently the, uh, regarding this, and the Democrats have spent the last four years undermining a democratically elected president. And <laughs> they impeached now him. They impeached him. And then, you know, five minutes later, it, they're, oh, the Republicans are, blah, blah, blah. Are, are you kidding me? Like, come on. You spent four years trying to fight this guy and now you're, you're, uh, he's, uh, just, just let it go. I, I think you're right, though. I, I don't think it's, nothing's going to get overturned, but the, the theater of it is going to be, is going to is going to happen. So I was looking online and uh the last time that a uh congressman or a senator um raised an objection was I don't know 2016. Oh. <laughs> with Trump. Oh, the Democrats raised the objection. Okay. And uh, I forgot which state they were objecting to, but Biden gaveled them down because they didn't follow the process. The process is you have to submit your objection in writing. Oh. And Biden gaveled them down. The, the time before that wasn't that much further back. It might have been 2008 or something. Again, it was the Democrats objecting. This time... I think they did it in writing, and it was over uh, votes in Ohio, I believe. So it's it it's happened in the past. It's happened in the recent past. You and I have said this all along. It's like we have a process. Yeah. And I've been, frankly, amazed at how good the process is. Yeah. And right. this, this is the, the hand wringing by the left is that, oh, our democracy is being destroyed by this. No, democracy is standing up. I mean, the, these are people who are following the procedures. They're going through lawsuits. They're doing all of the things that are allowed by the democracy or the, de, you know, democratic republic. Um, and, uh, it, like the democracy is doing what it's supposed to do, which is to, contain all of this, provide a system, provide a process for these sort of objections. This is exactly what it's designed to do. So along those lines, there was an, uh, a paper written by a guy that did some analysis of the Georgia election results, specifically Fulton County, which is the county that Atlanta is in. And he went precinct by precinct. And there's probably... 
200 precincts, 300 precincts in Fulton County. And he looked at historical voting trends and how those precincts voted this time. Mm -hmm. And there was one precinct in North Fulton County that was way out of whack, just like completely out of whack. And then he went to bordering precincts in the adjacent county. So precincts are small. Yeah. Right? Yep. It, a couple thousand people. Or a couple hundred, depending. But yeah. In this case, it's a couple thousand. Um, he went to adjacent precincts in counties. So these are people like right across the street, mm -hmm. right? That's where it goes. Yeah. Precinct lines are fairly arbitrary. They're just they're lines on a map. They and can those be, precincts yeah. um, voted pretty much in line with the way they voted historically. Hmm. So... It's like, hmm, so right across the street, they're voting one way. And then in this precinct, they're voting a different way. Well, is, and, so uh, is, is the discrepancy enough to swing the election is, is the question. Well, so Sorry, what I did, being the nerd that I am, is I went in and I pulled up all the data mm -hmm. because I didn't just take his word for it. And it does turn out that this one precinct in Fulton County is really, really odd. It usually goes 75-25 Republican. And this time, I think it went 60-40 um, Biden. Hmm. The other thing that's unclear is different sources have different numbers of people in that precinct, ranging from about 1,900 voters to 4,200 voters. A pretty big swing. Yeah. So... Look, all I'm saying, I'm not saying there was fraud or anything else. All I'm saying is people are are now going through and going through a thoughtful process of examining things like this information. Uh, probably wasn't enough to swing the election, but somebody needs to find out what, what was happened. going on. Yep, yep, and and go talk to that clerk and say. And figure I, out if there was any any wrongdoing. And, yeah. and if it wasn't for this level of scrutiny, if it wasn't for the lawsuits, if it wasn't for Donald Trump standing up and saying, you know, the election was stolen, we wouldn't be going through this level of scrutiny. Yeah. And the next election is going to be better than this election was because this election is being put under a massive microscope. Now, so there's no smoking gun here that says... Georgia was stolen. Right. Right. But there is information. And I've looked at a bunch of these other precincts and they all kind of line up with historical voting, give or take. In fact, in some of the inner city precincts in Atlanta, Trump did do better than uh, the historical voting for Republicans. Uh -huh. And so a lot of the things line up and make sense. This one didn't. Uh, the process, I think, as you and I have said, yeah, the was process. a good process. And it's right? held up. Yeah. A there, lot there of is integrity no, in this process. There is no threat to democracy by challenging things and going through the process. We've gone through another segment. <laughs> We're going to come back. I do want to do predictions for 2021, and we can talk a little bit more about some of the things going on in Portland. They're still smashing windows yes. in downtown This Portland. is true. I live there. This yeah. is <laughs> this is Ali and Pacero with James Ball. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. 
They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero. I'm here with our friend James Ball, our millennial Republican. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm the one. There's a couple of us. Yep. Uh, it, it, interestingly enough that, uh, and I think, well, I, I, my observation of you is there are some things that are going on right now that are kind of making you sound a little more conservative. <laughs> I am conservative. I know. I just, I, I just, I, I just don't like Trump lying to me yeah. about stuff. Well, I don't like Kate Brown lying to me. I don't so. like Kate Brown lying to me about stuff either. Um, when I talk about Portland mm-hmm. and for those of you out there that listen in other parts of the country, we live in a very beautiful place. I'm looking out the window right now and it's a very, very pretty place. Yep. Uh, there is a core group of people that are causing trouble in our city and we have a massive homeless issue, a massive, massive homeless issue to the, the point that if you're coming from Indiana or Michigan, you probably can't quite comprehend how bad it is here. And we're not really getting to the root cause of it. It's a very big disappointment to everybody here because we live in a a very, very beautiful place. But uh, we had a bunch of riots. Uh, We had protests and then we had riots. And I really want to draw that distinction. But apparently we're still having them. We're still having the riots. Yeah, I think when you have riots and you don't have a clear end to them, they just kind of peter out and nobody's arrested and there are no real consequences for all of the vandalism and arson that went on. Uh, people are then emboldened to continue with the vandalism and arson. Yeah. I, I think that, yeah, they, they've lost their, their, uh, their mantle of this being for black people. And now it's just about destroying things. And, uh, the, the police who are overworked and underpaid and, uh, and defunded and defunded and have been working overtime for a hundred plus straight nights as they're fighting with protesters in the street. Um, they, they're not arresting anybody. And even if they did, the DA won't prosecute. So you've got this kind of cacophony of errors of just nonsense going on in downtown Portland. And you can, you can get away with murder down there. Well, and in Seattle, soon to come to Portland, I'll bet you. Oh, sure. They have now started discussing at their city council, um, making crimes, not crimes, if you are poor or uh, mentally handicapped or a drug drug addicted. Mm -hmm. So all of the crimes of vandalism, theft, burglary, that kind of... Basically, I think it was almost everything up to a felony. Yeah. If you said, well, I'm a drug addict. I was... I was breaking into this car for, because to feed my addiction. Right. Yeah. It's it's no longer a. They're talking and, about no longer and being that crime. to yeah. me is beyond <laughs> imagination. Right. Yeah. But that's what we're doing. Seattle is seriously considering doing this, and 
and I, it feels like the kind of thing that Portland is going to entertain. I feel like it's, they're, they're trying to do something and, but they're doing it in the wrong way. Yeah. Um, they're, what they're, I mean, what they're trying to do is they're saying these people need help and we as society have failed to help them. And the only reason that they're doing these things is because we as society have failed them and therefore we're not going to criminalize them for doing the thing that we kind of caused in the first place. And so that we can maybe help people who are in these situations uh, by not throwing them in jail. The problem is they then don't actually help the people. It's, hey, you're a drug addict and you broke into this car to steal a stereo and sell it for drugs. Uh, okay, well, don't do that again. And then don't actually provide any support beyond that. The person goes back out on the street, continues their drug habit, and uh, continues breaking into cars. Well, and I, so I have a... It's not going to work. I have a friend that's Multnomah County or was a Multnomah County Sheriff's Deputy. And he said the threat of doing hard time was the only thing that they could use to get people to go into rehabilitation services. Huh. And so you take away the threat of hard time, n nobody's going to do anything. Yeah. Right? So it was, and I, he had a name for it. There, if, if you're listening out there and you know the name, please type it in and, and we'll talk about it. But there was a program that's called, you know, XYZ. Mm -hmm. And you'd go before the judge and and the guy would say, "Look, um, I will I will go to X Y Z program, and that puts you on a um, it puts you on a process. I don't know if they put an ankle bracelet on you or whatever, but you have to report in. You have to go see your counselor. You've got to do all these things. But I'll do that because I don't want to go back and do hard time. Right. Well, we've taken all that away. Yep." And from his standpoint, as a as a police officer, that was literally the only thing that would get these people. And he said it didn't work on everybody, right? Some people would just say, fine, I'll just do the time and be right back out. Um, so we don't have any kind of mechanism for that anymore. Right. And don't forget, no services. I mean, the, one of the reasons that we can't enforce people not sleeping on the side of the street is because we don't have the... We don't have the beds. We don't have the homeless shelters because we spend all this money for the OHA to not administer vaccines <laughs> instead of providing shelter for the homeless. It's like we spend so much money in this state <laughs> on stupid stuff. And again, the, the OHA, it's going back to this, it's more important that their employees take a vacation day than it is administering the vaccine. And we got people living on the street up in Portland that, you know, could be using that money for, for something better. Than it's... it's than people not doing their jobs. And I, I, I don't understand why my friends in Portland, my downtown Portland liberal friends, don't get this. I, I, do they... Which, which part? The, the whole thing about the incompetency, the gross incompetency of our government. I don't think they see it that way. I think they, they think... I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think they ever look at it that way. They just think, you know, if there's a problem, we can fix it with more government control and more, which means more money, which means more taxes. I don't think they ever stop and think, hmm, maybe we have enough money. We have enough taxes. We just need to spend it better. No, they never think that we have enough money and we have enough they, taxes. They don't, they, I don't. I think your, your rank and file Democrats don't ever, don't just don't think like that. 
That, well, that's that's true. I know when when I worked in Salem, uh, some of them do. But well, I used to say there's a there's a large group of people that as long as there's still a Mercedes driving around in Portland, there's still <laughs> money. Well, yeah, right. Because yeah. nobody needs a Mercedes, right? You that's don't true. really need it. That's true. So. You know, we have lots of things that we could use it for, that money for, that's that's better than driving a Mercedes. Yeah, I think I think it just doesn't occur to people to think that way sometimes of, like, we could do a lot more with the money we have. I think it's easier. It's, it's just a more straightforward answer to say, we have a problem, let's throw money at it, rather than, oh, we already have the money. Good. And uh, I want to get back and I want to talk about the third PERS article that I wrote, which is leading into this. Uh, we kind of led into it. It's a, it's an article about solutions, potential solutions for the uh, public employee retirement system, uh, issue that we've got. We'll come back and talk about that and get in, get into projections for 2021. This is Ali and Pacero with James Ball. The Portland spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero. I'm here with our friend James Ball. Jimmy's in the bunker still. Hanging we out with Biden. Out. We got him out for a while. We did. We did. Yeah. But then he went right back under the rock. Yeah, he was, he was playing bridge with uh, Joe Biden in the bunker, and <laughs> yeah. it was his turn. So I wrote a series of articles. It was published on the Oregon Way blog. Um, been circulating around. Some influential people have read them. Thank goodness. Thank you. I was trying to explain a very complex situation about the public employee retirement system, the liability and the assets about a $238 billion cash liability, about $60 billion in assets. And then the last one is on things that we could do to ameliorate the problem, make it less. So, um, one of the ones that I came up with after talking to people, when I ran for treasurer, mostly when I was running for treasurer, is people weren't mad at other people having PERS. They were mad that they don't have it. Mm. They wanted some sense of retirement security. And at first I thought, well, that's silly. You just, you should have been saving money. Right. But then I thought about it. It's like, well, wait a minute. They, those taxpayers have provided retirement security for a subset of the population. Mm -hmm. And that retirement security is backed up by the balance sheet of the state, which is really backed up by the taxpayers, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we could come up with a way of broadening the number of people that get sort of this umbrella protection from the state. And I called it PERS for all. And what that would do is if you invested money with the same funds that are commingled for the retirement system, they could give you call it. It's like war bonds or something. They could give you 5% interest. Let's make it double tax free. So mm -hmm. state tax free and federal tax free. They can invest that money and any gain above the 5%, they can keep 
and used to offset the PERS liability. Um, I would invest in that. Yeah. You know, a guaranteed 5%. And you could make it only for citizens of Oregon. Yeah. You know, you could, you could gerrymander around it. There's, there's legal issues with doing it. There's things like um, bonding pension liabilities that's difficult to do. And there's all kinds of difficult things to do. But I'm just trying to change the mindset of people to say, let's think about this in ways that we haven't. Because we've got a problem. Yeah we're going to have to pay this liability. We need to figure out ways uh, to do that. So thoughts on that one? Well, yeah, I, I think that I on my own could do better than 5%. So I don't know that I would invest in it, but I think you're right. Can I think you that- do better than 5% tax free? Because that's another 30 on top of that. So now you're up around seven or eight. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. And uh, but, That's fair. But for part of your portfolio... But- you know, I, yeah. I mean, I've I've got when I was in the venture business, um, lots and lots of venture guys have money invested in startup companies and money invested in bonds, and mm. it's it's the weighted portfolio, but it's it, I call it the dumbbell weighted portfolio because it's the risky investment, most risky investments you can possibly make. And then the most conservative investments you can possibly make. They don't invest in the stock market. They don't invest in all the stuff in in between. Um, It would allow you to put aside. Now, you're young also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But at my age, as I'm now looking at whatever assets I have and sort of plotting out how long am I going to live, this is another thing is that if you're in the private sector, like my wife and I, you actually have to do your own actuarial analysis of how long are you going to live? Yeah. And it's like, well, Graham lived to 99, right? For my wife. Yeah. My family, not so much. Well, you would hope that you've got family and friends. And if you did outlive your retirement, you'd have someone to, to come live with. Maybe. Graham, I mean, but yeah. So, for example, great Graham outlived everyone. All of her kids died. Oh, wow. All of her sisters and brothers died. She was it. I remember when my when my grandpa passed away, my grandmother came and lived with us for a couple of years before mm-hmm. she had to go to a to a full care facility. Right. And yeah, we just had an extra bedroom and that's where grandma lived. Well, and that's the way traditionally it's been done. Now, another one was a concept called taxing the government. So... I'm sure that's going to fly with Democrats. No, it, it, it doesn't, <laughs> but it's actually a very reasonable thing to do. So we have this massive liability, mm-hmm. right? And we're not funding it. Yet government spending grows and grows and grows and grows and grows like crazy, up 45% in the last six years or something like this. Mm-hmm. So the concept is you put a tax on all the government functions. You take that money and you put it toward the liability. Well, I think that's essentially what they're doing, aren't they? I mean, that they're they're taking a. I mean, not all of government spending, but all of their payroll. They're taking a percentage of payroll. They and- they they are. But this is a very direct way of saying all government spending hmm. has a two or three percent tax, and that two or three percent tax is swept. It's kind of like wearing masks, <laughs> right? It makes everybody think about it. Puts yes, it top it's of like mind. Okay. There's, okay. <clears throat> here's your budget, except there's a three percent surcharge that goes over to pay the PERS liability, hmm. and oh, here's your budget, but there's a three percent surcharge to go pay the PERS 
liability. It's, it's more like that. My, my friends in government blew up. You can't possibly do that. Well, guess what? That's the way the Department of Administrative Services is funded right now. There's a department that is this massive thing that does administrative services for things in the government. The way they're funded is there's a DAS, there's a Department of Administrative Services tax mm-hmm. on your budget that pays for them. Uh, I think, I think you're, I mean, obviously we have to do these kind of exercises, but I think it would be simpler to uh, simply delegate this to the legislature. You just pass a bill that says your PERS liability has to be fully funded by 2035 and has to stay fully funded. So there is... And then they got to figure it out. There is a mechanism like that. Yeah. And they can't seem to figure it out. And what they do is they keep uh, coming up with more and more complex formulas that say you're going to be fully funded by 2035, but Mm. you're not. Okay. That's what that's what happens. And part of it is the way the PERS liability is viewed is retrospectively. You you freeze it today and you look back on what your liability is. They don't freeze it today and also look forward on the liability that they're creating. Hmm. And it's one of the things when people say, Well, Oregon is actually better than like Illinois. Right. That's only because looking backwards, we're better than Illinois. Looking forwards, nobody does that calculation. Hmm. And they, uh, it's a lot like a lot of things in the government. They just go, well, we don't know how many people we're going to hire. That's impossible (laughs) to determine, right? No, you have a history of hiring this many people. You can do that. If you work at a publicly traded company, you have to have budgets. Of course. Oh, and if your budget is off by more than a a couple percent, your uh, CFO goes to jail for violating Sarbanes-Oxley. Even a little little company has a three or four year plan. Big companies have 10 year plans. Yeah. You know? Because you have liabilities that you can't (laughs) pay off in a year that you're going to have to work down over 10 or 15 years. Anyway, uh, we're going to come back. We've got a break right now. We're going to come back and talk about 2021 predictions. This is Allie and Pacero with our friend James Ball. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero with our friend James Ball. We're going to do some 2021 predictions now, and I'll write down the answers. I, I, I'm going to make Jim do this and send them to us okay. so that we can, uh, we can track Jimmy's. So the first one is when do we get to herd immunity with the COVID vaccine? Meaning, what is the date when you think we're pretty much back to normal? You can go, well, let's, when will the Timbers play their first home game? <laughs> that that would be the. Uh, I think summer. I think summer is when we when we start getting back to normal. We'll have a few months of vaccines. We'll have like the the warm weather. People will be more outside. I mean, we saw an uptick in the winter because everybody. I mean, we always see an uptick in diseases in the winter. It's flu season. You know, that's that's a thing. And so naturally, things will get better during during the summer, combined with the vaccine. And uh, I think yeah, I think summertime. Okay, we'll say so- June. June. June, pick a date. June 30th. June 30. Okay, so if this is the price is right. But I don't know what we're going to do. Like, I don't know if we're going to... Is there going to be a moment in time when we're back to normal? Or, or you, you said Timbers. Timber, first Timbers home game. So I think I don't, that would be the... I don't know when. They play in the summertime. They play in the summertime. Okay, June 30. Yeah, let's do that. 
with with a full attendance. Oh, is that what you're? Because they've been with, playing home games, just with, nobody's been in the in the yeah yeah in the uh, stands with uh ten thousand or more fans. That's half. Mm, yeah, I'll I'll stay. I'll stick with my. June. With my June thirtieth, I think it's not going to be until twenty twenty two when there's a full stadium again. Yeah, I think that's probably. I true. think they're going to be overly cautious. I don't think. I think they will be able to have a full stadium in uh, this summer, but I don't think they're actually going to do it until well, next I, year. Well, I think what'll happen when we go back, we'll all go back with masks, and there'll be cool Timbers masks. That's okay. That's a good point. Right? I mean, everybody will wear a mask. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be just kind of a. Thing. It'll be a thing. Oh, yeah. It'll be decades before we stop wearing it'll, masks in public. It'll have a mask and maybe a little slit for drinking your beer. <laughs> <laughs> right? With a magnetic closure. Okay. You're June 30th. I'm going to say, let's see, Biden's president. I wonder what it would have been if Trump was president. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, June 30th. So we're playing I'm Price is Right. Say, I don't know that it's fair that you get to go second. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to base it off. I'm going to say uh, August 1. Okay. The Dow. Yep. Uh, it closed at 30,606. Mm-hmm. Up, down, sideways. Over the next 12 months? Yep. Oh, up. Yeah. We're we're printing so much money; it's all going straight in the stock market. Well, that's true. Like, there's there's two sets of people that are the, from that happened from COVID. It's the small business owner, the restaurateurs, the bartenders, who have all just lost everything. And then there's all my friends from Intel who are still making their six figure oh, check, yeah. but they have nowhere to spend their money. They keep like <laughs> they they're just oh, throwing they're just it. Throwing they're throwing it all in the market. stock market. They're all throwing the stock market. Yeah. And so, I mean, the people who had. $10,000 in the stock market now have $30,000 in the stock market. And yeah. as we continue to print money, uh, we're, we're, they're just going to put it more of it in the stock market. So, so up, up a lot over so the, in next year. The underlying fundamentals, which don't seem to make any sense anymore. So years and years and years ago, back when stocks were based on some kind of intrinsic value, the price of a stock, this is where you get PE ratios and everything, was the discounted cash flow of future earnings. So my share of stock over the next, call it 10 years, is going to earn a dollar a share each year. And then I discount it back at some discount rate, 6%, mm-hmm. 7%. Whatever the cost of capital is. Yeah. And that was the intrinsic value of that stock. If it was greater than the cost of capital, then I was in the money. If it was less than the cost of capital, theoretically, I'd sell that stock. Right. Today's stock market has nothing to do with that at all. It's all it's all hype. It's all what, it's all sentiment. What is the next person willing to pay? Mm-hmm. Right. It's so uh, thirty sixty six. You think up ten twenty percent? What do you? What's uh, thirty. Thirty percent. I'm going to say thirty. Yeah. So it's at thirty thousand and change. I'd say it's it's above thirty three thousand. Okay. Or no, that so forty thousand. Yeah. I'd say forty thousand is reasonable. Okay. For a year from now. I'm trying to do the. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, unfortunately, I'm going to take a contrarian view is that uh, the market is looking for a reason to correct. That they, it, it's so high, it's so hot that 
they're looking for a financial debacle or the, the vaccine doesn't work or they're looking for some reason for the market to correct. Mm, okay. That's my, that's my theory. Um, and I'm going to say it's I mean, your, actually your intrinsic value idea. Like, yeah, that's how it, how it used to be done, but now it's just, it's supply and demand. It's it, if, it if totally, someone else is willing to pay a higher price, the, the stock goes up. And honestly, that's how it always was. It's yeah. just, everybody just kind of followed the rule of the discounted cash flows, at least in theory. Um, but now you've got Tesla whose PE ratio is like a thousand. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and, and the thing with Tesla, so for example, Tesla's PE ratio is a thousand. This is what they said about Amazon for years and years and years. Yeah. Amazon's PE ratio was infinity because Amazon made nothing. There, there was no earnings. So the, the ratio Thir- was 1300, infinite. 1300, a Tesla's PE ratio is okay. 1300. So Amazon's PE ratio was infinity because right. there was no earnings and a bunch of people didn't buy Amazon. It was this book company. They sold books, right? That's all it was. Yeah. It was an online bookstore. Uh-huh. And if you think about intrinsic value, you think about what was the proprietary advantage that they had, <laughs> right? Yeah. There wasn't yeah. any. Well, I think, I think that was the beginning of this thing where it's, it's no longer about PE ratios and cash flows. It's, it's all about hype and sentiment. Uh, who will be president on 12... 12- Thirty-one, twenty, twenty-one. Uh, Biden. I think. Oh, I really? think. I think he wants to go a full year before he steps down and gives it to Kamala. So I'm. I'm thinking early next year is when uh, Kamala will take over. Kamala. Kamala. I keep. Right. I always screw that up. It's Kamala. And apologies Alan, to the vice president. Who will be president in twenty twenty-one? I. Oh, I'll just go with Harris. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, yeah, I and think, it's not I think, because I think he's going to step down. I'm just think, you know. No, I think I think Biden wants to do it for a full year before he. Otherwise, it's like a fake presidency. Who will be governor? Ooh, uh, Shamia Fagan. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. Oh, a year from now? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. Brown gets called up to D.C. for something, and and Fagan takes over. That's. I, I feel the same way. Uh, Georgia Senate races. Uh, Republicans, both. Okay. And I think the same thing. And then will Trump be convicted of anything in 2021? No. Why not? Because I don't think Biden's going to do it. I think that there is so much precedent of presidents not pursuing criminal charges against former like former presidents that um i don't think biden could get away with it i think you know you're gonna have the aocs of the world who are going to be calling for trump's head but i think biden um i think in, in his heart he's he's not gonna see he i really said, is trying to bring everybody together. i said the same thing about impeaching him is that they're not going to impeach him. That would but just they've be in, stupid. They've impeached presidents before. I know, but I, that was my view was they're not going to impeach him. That's just stupid. And then, and Nancy Pelosi held off on it for a long, long time. And then finally she succumbed and impeached him. Well, I don't think Biden's going to have that pressure. I don't think, or 
because <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But of course, if he if he steps down and and it's Harris, Harris might a, be willing to. Do you get any mailings from the Democratic Party? Or? No. Oh, I do, and it's all about convicting him, throwing him in jail. Well, they're trying to drum up support. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's to it's, raise it's, money. It's, it's, it's the, the same the, stuff. Yeah, it's the same stuff we do. It's the lock her up for Hillary. Did we ever lock Hillary up? No. No. Because Hillary didn't actually commit any crimes. She did shady stuff, but like, come on. She didn't commit any crimes. I don't, I don't think so. She wasn't prosecuted for anything. No, she wasn't. That's true. So uh, that wraps it up. Those are our predictions for the year. We'll get Jim's predictions, and we'll see you next week, 830 now that we know how to <laughs> set, set everything set up, up. <laughs> this is Allie and Passero with her friend James Ball. Thanks for listening. This has been Allie and Passero with your hosts, Alan Alley and Jim Passero. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at alanalley.com.